This is Simon Transparently Awakening the heart of humanity As we see beyond the lies And open our eyes to realize This is our time to rise Welcome everyone to another podcast And today I am with a very dear friend Mark Itzler I'll do a little intro in a moment But just want to welcome you on to the uh, podcast today. Hey, brother. Hi, Simon. Good to see you again. Yeah, really lovely to see you. And yeah, just a little tiny backstory for introducing this lovely being. So so Mark actually came to one of my uh, first um, naked retreats way, way, way <laughs> back in 20... The first, sorry, yes. Thank you. The first. Um he, yeah, he was a brave one that said yes to that that madness. So, and that was in 2014 or 2015, I believe. And what happened from that beautiful encounter was we stayed in touch and then we ended up uh, co-creating another retreat called uh, Trinity. And Trinity was about laughter, tears, and silence. And I'm going to let Mark share a little bit about his story with this, but there are, the best way to say how I now, uh, let's say, reflect on my time with Mark is that he really helped me access my authentic laughter, my sincere laughter, as we're going to talk about today. So today's podcast and why I brought Mark on not only because we've been wanting to bring him on for a long time anyway, but also we're about to do a little workshop um, around the power of laughter. And today, really, since he's launched his new book, which we're going to talk about as well, yeah, I just felt like still for me, there's not enough people just genuinely laughing in life. There's a sense of joy missing. And so um, the topic of today's podcast is really um, – yeah, to, to really drink. I want you to drink from Mark's wisdom of years of experience of really taking beings into the meditative state and therapeutic state. I'm going to let Mark describe it the best way he does um, in order to liberate themselves. I, I've just been spending some time in Romania. And um, what I've been hearing a lot from actually from women about men is that a lot of men really don't like talking about their past. They don't like talking about their trauma. That's what's difficult for them to articulate it and to put it into words. They feel disassociated. It's like they So what they've become very attracted to is this capacity and this opportunity, I should say, for them to contact their pain, contact their wounds, their trauma, in a non-verbal way. There seems to be a very big first for that in Eastern Europe, you see, because they didn't get the um, liberation of the 60s and the 70s like we did in Western Europe and in America. Um, and they are now just experiencing their summer of love, if you like. They're starting to um, connect with spirituality, connect with inner growth, uh, connect with their own awareness, learning about meditation, learning about therapy. So there's an enormous thirst um, because 
uh, it was a very repressive part of the world during those times, during the 60s and 70s. Um, so that's something that's really building momentum and I'm finding myself very drawn to being involved there in festivals, doing talks, doing workshops, doing seminars. Um, in the situation, certainly here in the UK, um, I wouldn't say cynical, but people seem to have, they don't seem to have much of a will to work on themselves. It's different in different parts of, of Europe uh, and other parts of the world. Um, but I've never felt um, able to kind of get a breakthrough in this part of the world, in the United Kingdom and some parts of Northern Europe. That seems to be happening in, in Eastern Europe now. I think it's a, a hotbed and a really thirsty place where people are really open and really receptive to um, new kinds of ways of working. So feeling quite excited about that over the next year or two. Wonderful. Let's jump in with laughter, tears, and silence, the mystic rose, the power of um, using using the, the, I like what you described it before when we was talking, it's, it's not just about laughing, it's about the, the, the power of being in that state of what laugh, laughter induces. So would you just like, yeah, please just free flow and, and share like how, what your, what techniques and tools that you're using in order to support beings in this, uh, in this method that you're sharing. Okay. So just a little background, just so give some yes. context. Um, um, my parents, well, my mother became involved in, in spiritual growth in the early seventies. Um, through uh, actually meeting a doctor, a naturopath who was going to help her with her asthma, she was introduced to dynamic meditation. She'd never done any kind of meditation before, had no idea what it was, um, but went and tried it in this little meditation center down in Marylebone, where she had to do this crazy heavy breathing and this catharsis, and it was very strange to her, but, and she couldn't do it for two weeks. She tried and tried and kept going and kept going. Eventually, she managed to get the meditation, get through the meditation. She noticed that uh, this naturopath whose meditation center this belonged to, um, he had a guru in India um, who is now known as Osho. Um, and just through being around what is known as sannyasins, the, the devotees of Osho, um, she, she found herself attracted to, to his teachings. Eventually, she became a sannyasin in 1973, and she traveled to India in 74, saw him. Uh, and then wanted us as a family to be there. It took us a few years, but in 79, me and my sister, my mom and dad went to India. Um, I was 14 years old at that time. I had already become a sannyasin or a disciple just for, for the fun of it. I was only 10 years old. I thought, can I be, can I be involved? I always loved being involved. So we went off to India. Uh, we were supposed to go for a year. We stayed for three years. Um, which was an amazing experience in itself. I was coming into my my adolescence. I was around a spiritual community of thousands of people. Um, it was yeah, experimenting with psychedelic drugs. It was a very powerful three years of my life that uh, had a huge impact on me. Um, then uh, Osho left India and went to America um, and started a commune in Oregon um, called Rajneesh Puram. That was a, a part of the movement I found difficult to be around and kind of drew away from it a bit at that point. 
when that finished and he went back to India in the mid to late 80s, um, at that point, the, they reinstated the ashram in India and it became a huge therapy and growth center. Um, Osho himself only ever devised meditations. He devised meditations that were active because his belief was that you couldn't just transpose, as many gurus try to do, you couldn't just transpose Eastern methodology, i.e. meditation, directly into a Western context. The Western mind and Eastern mind, completely different cultures, and our minds work in very different ways. So he felt it was necessary to integrate therapy first uh, before meditation uh, or to at least integrate them together so that there's some some catharsis, some release um, of of pain, of of wounds, of trauma, and before we can just sit. Otherwise, it's, it just becomes too much to bear to just sit with all that pain and, and trauma. So this growth center started to grow rapidly, and my mother, Leela, she was tasked with coordinating the group and therapy department. This department had... I mean, it was catering to thousands of people. It was the biggest growth center in the world. So there were hundreds of groups and therapies going on simultaneously. Dozens and dozens of group rooms and venues. It was a huge undertaking. Um, and my mother was tasked with being the coordinator of that. She coordinated the whole group. Uh, in 1988, Osho created... See, what happened in this growth center, all these therapists were preeminent and eminent therapists from all over the world in their fields, whether it was yoga, tantra, um, gestalt, um, encounter, all the movements that were happening, all the different types of uh, modalities. Um, people who had wanted to come and do it in India, in the ashram, because there were thousands of people there ready and willing to do these processes. Um, so he never actually created any kind of therapy he just created these active meditations. Then in the late 80s, 1988, he decided to create his first therapeutic process. Um, and he created three of them, and he they were termed meditative therapies. They used the meditative element of being in the present moment, being with yourself, uh, and the therapeutic element of working with a group, so in a therapeutic group environment, so you have a collective consciousness of a group. Uh, he created three processes. One was called Born Again, which was just very free form. That was um, some hours of just being like a child, being in your being in your inner child, being free to do whatever you want to do, and followed by a period of sitting quietly in relaxation. Uh, the other process was called No Mind, which is a great, great, great practice that I love to do, which involved uh, an hour a day of very intense gibberish followed by an hour of silent sitting. And that gibberish is designed um, as a non-cognitive process. It's basically created by the, uh, the Sufi mystic Jabbar. So the second um, meditative therapy that he created was called No Mind. Uh, that was based on the method used by Jabbar, which is where the word gibberish comes from. Um, so this process involves an hour of very intense gibberish, just walking around the meditation room, speaking in a language you don't understand very intensely for an hour. Um, it was devised, as I say, by the um, Sufi mystic Jabbar. Uh, and he would go into the villages and towns with his disciples and speak nonsense very intensely 
Uh, it was their way of overcoming the mind, and that's that's what it does. It's, that's the trick that, of this meditative therapy is that it overwhelms the mind, it overwhelms the inner critic. So when you hear yourself, the thoughts coming in, um, it you can literally talk your, you can gibber, you can gibber your your mind into silence by overpowering it with nonsense. So doing that for an hour. Uh, and then sitting in silence, very powerful process. The third, the third and the main uh, meditative therapy that Osho created was initially based on what he considered to be our two primal energies. And by that, what I mean is that before we have thought, before we speak, before we have a commentary running in our minds, the way that we communicate, the way that we exist as a conscious being, i.e. when we're... At, from, from the moment we're born till we're about a year old, when we start to use language, our two main methods of communication are laughter and crying. They're like primal energies. They they are run as, an, as a part of, of the autonomic nervous system. This is why we have to stop ourselves from crying and stop ourselves from laughing because they're natural experiences that occur spontaneously to a particular stimulus. So Osho wanted to use these primal energies as a way to bypass the conscious mind, similarly to the to the gibberish. Um, what he discovered was that by doing long periods of laughter, and when we say long periods of laughter, talking um, three hours, hour sessions for seven days. So he created this process. He just said, right, laugh for three hours a day for seven days and then cry for three hours a day for seven days. What he discovered was that functions. One of them is that he discovered that, that the mind has to stop when you're laughing. So in fact, laughter is naturally a meditative experience because the mind will freeze when you're laughing. This is why comedians have to stop talking when their audience is laughing because they won't be able to hear the rest of, they won't hear anything the comedian is saying because their their mental state is frozen on the punchline, either an image or, an, or a concept. And, and until that has passed, the comedian won't say anything. So laughter has the capacity to actually stop thought, which is amazing. So you can't laugh and think at the same time. Um, yeah, what also happens is that in prolonged laughter, the way that we do it in this process, the way that he devised it was that you're connecting to your inner child and you're opening channels through moving and through moving natural energy. So just by using laughter, which is breath, voice, and body, which is all involved in laughter, the diaphragm, the lungs, um, mind, the body, everything starts to work together and it acts like a flushing flow. So what it's a bit like if you're sucking through a straw, you start to get a flow going and you can actually siphon and it will just keep flowing. So laughter gets that energy going, gets that flow moving up through the body. And then after three or four days or four or five days of that, what starts to happen is other aspects of our energy start to hitch a ride on that flow. Uh, and what can also come in is, is, is repressed pain, repressed wounds, and repressed trauma starts joining that flow. So it starts to open the flow to, your, to the deep part of the brain, we call them as the limbic system, where we store a lot of 
repressed hurt. Now, repression is a natural phenomena. It's, it's similar to a spasm in your back protecting your spinal cord. If your back becomes too mobile, um, your, the muscles will cramp around it to protect it. Repression is the, is, the, is, is the body's way of protecting itself from too much shock and too much trauma. Um, and I can go a bit more into that later and discuss it a bit more, but just on the basic terms, that's, that's how we use laughter to access our tears. We create that flow, which starts to open up those energy blocks that, are, that, we, that we hold down. And using laughter and just the body and no talking during the sessions at all keeps us out of the head. It's a completely non-cognitive process. It's a somatic process. It just works with body energy. Um, there is interaction with people that you can enjoy and laugh and 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 uh, entertain each other initially, and and that's how we do it for the first three hours every day for the for the first few days of the, of the laughing. Um, then um, what happened was people were having big releases during the crying phase. So in the second week, it was crying for three hours a day. At the end of that week, people were very vulnerable, very fragile. Um, so my mother, Leela, she spoke to Osha and said, you know, people are, are, are finding it difficult to just go back into their normal lives after this big release. And he said, okay, add some meditation for another week, three hours a day. That then became a 21-day process, laughter, tears, and silent sitting. Um, around the time he was, he, he created and asked my mother, Leela, to develop uh, and, and turn this into a therapy group. Um, he was giving a discourse on that time about Mahakashaya, who uh, was one of Buddha's disciples, where Buddha gave him the flower, um, gave him the rose and said, I have nothing left to say. Now you have the key. It's, in, it's a beautiful story. It's in, this book, in the book. Um, it was basically when there's nothing left to say, the message, the message becomes clearer. When it's, when it's no more in the, in the realm of words and cognitive understanding. Um, that series, that lecture, series of lectures was called Yahoo, the Mystic Road. Um, and he described this process as what I want you to do is shout Yahoo for the first week. You get yourself going with laughter and you use the mantra Yahoo. For the second week, you use the mantra Yahoo to get yourself into tears. Um, and because of the, 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 uh, the series of lectures that was happening at that time, that process got known as, became known as the Mystic Rose. And that is the 21-day process as it exists today. Um, this was in 1989 that he asked my mother, Leela, to develop and run this process. She then took it around the world and has been running it around the world for the last 35 years. Thousands upon thousands of people do. Uh, I, uh, she invited me to join her to train and run the process and to run it with her in 2011. First time I went and did it was in 2011 in India, in Dharamsala, North India. Um, and then um, over the period of time, I did the training several times and then actually helped rewrite the training program as well. Um, and now we have been running the, the process for some years, running it together, co-facilitating co it uh, and the training as well. Um, now, when this was first developed back in the 1980s, it was in the context of this big commune full of thousands of people all there to do spiritual growth. So it was like a giant retreat. Um, so people could take the three hours a day out of, tw of 21 days and take the time every day to do it. Um, unfortunately, in the modern world in which we now live, 
people who don't live in that kind of context, who don't live in communes, who have families and work and careers, it was just not possible for people to take that kind of time off. So people who trained to become Mystic Growth Facilitators, um, who I've been training, because I'm also a senior trainer, I, I, could get, I train people how to run it as well as run it. Um, it was becoming impossible for people to organize these events because they're just too expensive for people. So right. uh, some years back, as I was referring to what we did together, some years back I, I discussed it with Lila, with my mum, and said, let me try a shorter version. Let me try three days of laughter, three days of tears, three days of silence. Um, she was quite protective of the process, understandably. She, you know, she didn't want to mess with it because she felt that it was devised to be 21 days for a reason. But she said, all right, try it. So um, that's what we did together. You and I, we created the Trinity. I, call, I couldn't call it Mystic Rose because there had to be something completely different because it isn't a Mystic Rose. And we wanted there to be that distinction. So we called it the Trinity. So it's the 333. Um, and we set that up in Malta. And, you know, we went into it. I went into it saying, well, let's see what happens. It was an experiment. But very clearly people got taken away by their laughter very deeply, huge breakthroughs. Uh, and in, and yes, people had enormous breakthroughs, real let goes. A lot of pain was released. Many, many layers of dusty old pain was released, even in those three days of tears. And the three days of meditation, like the cherry on the cake, uh, were, it was lovely. So I reported back to Lila, I said, it's not a mystic rose. It's not as it's not as long and as deep and as powerful, but it definitely has an impact. It definitely has benefit, and people definitely had breakthroughs. I then ran another one in Mallorca a couple of years later, and several people life changing experiences. Just you know, it, it was it was people said you've given me back my heart. I feel reconnected to myself. Um, it creates it creates a completely new relationship to your pain. And I like to call it the pain that lives inside us because it isn't who we are and it doesn't really belong to us. It just lives inside us. So um, I am now creating an, an even shorter version because even 10 days is quite difficult for people. So now I'm doing seven days, which is, we're just calling it laughter to silence, LTS. Three days of laughter for three hours a day, three days of crying for three hours a day, one day of meditation to sit and integrate the new energy. Um, and that's currently what I'm running and setting up at the moment. Mm, Just up to where we are now, really. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm just enjoying listening to you, actually. And as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm, you did a post today, didn't you? And it was literally today, the 21st of November, 2016, right, I believe. 2016, we said, didn't we? That, that, you, that you was on the plane, you was on the plane heading home after our um, 10 days. And when you yeah. posted that, I was like, I was like, wow, that's like, what, what are the chances that we come together today to talk about this beautiful process? And, and again, when I listen to you, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just catapulted back into the simplicity and, and, and the wisdom with which this practice and, and with what you bring really offers. And, and at the deepest, the deepest level, as you just said, you know, when the words have gone, what's left and, you know, the laughter accessing, and I also love how you just described pain is what lives inside of us. It's not who we are, but we identify with it. So, you know, laughing and crying 
um, a way that 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 part of ourselves that isn't you know our truth, our full truth. Let's say at least it's not our full truth. Um, it's so simple and so beautiful and so profound. And so um, and and actually, just to say in there. Prior to meeting Mark and having this experience that he just described, um, I'm many people know listening to me. I love to make people laugh. I love laughing. I have a, a you know lightheartedness about me, and I'm all for I'm all for playfulness and so on. But up until that point in 2016, um, I didn't realize how much of uh, the judge and the um, the self-critic was alive inside of me because what the laughter does, and I'd love you to speak a bit to this, Mark, is what the laughter does is it actually highlights how much you're in your head, how much you're in your analytical mind. And so what happened for me, I didn't get to laugh actually in that properly laugh in that um 10 day experience. I got to taste a tiny piece, but I was mostly um in resistance, struggling, and it wasn't until the last three days of the crying that Mark came and hugged me, and he was crying, and through my frustration and my the the, the, the resistance and the the, the 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 stress of those three days of kind of having this little cry, acting crying because I come from an acting environment, and and then having that that proper like cry at the end uh, opened up a uh, a doorway opened up a doorway you just described it like this uh, tube opened up the tube for the emotion to move and then what I did moving forward was continued the practice of putting myself in the state of laughter and that enabled me to cry even more and since that time I can you know sit here genuinely and say that through that practice I was able to access my tears much more and now I'm I'm able to move my emotion differently along with other practices but definitely with laughter still i'm allowed to allow my emotions i'm allowed to allow my tears and and they it's such a, a relief and a euphoria actually when when i get to actually cry everything softens my whole being um all my armor drops and i'm a much more receptive and um uh, present being so, so you know what's really what's fundamental about the process you talk about the resistance the resistance is the process Confronting the resistance is the process. And when I introduce working with laughter and tears, when I introduce at the beginning of, of, a, um, of a workshop or a, or a retreat, I say to people, this is something you really need to understand. You cannot get this process wrong. There is no way that you will fail in this experience because as long as you are present, even to the fact that you can't laugh, you are in the process. And you're in the room and you're resonating with the other people and there will be some impact. Something will happen. So if you sit, I say to people, if you sit here for three hours and don't crack a single smile, that's fine. Just make sure that you don't. Just make sure that you stay with that feeling. Understand that, see it as a coal face, like you're a miner with a pickaxe, okay? And you sit and you look at the wall. You can either stare at that coal face or you can start, you can pick up your pickaxe and start picking at it. If you would just want to sit there and look at it, that's your process for now. But if you want to start tapping away, if you want to start digging, then you start inviting your laughter. And that's you picking up the pickaxe and start chipping away. It doesn't have to be a torrent of laughter. You're not looking to be in 
completely lost in, in, in massive laughter or hysteria. What you're looking for is the tiniest little giggle. You're looking for the little child inside. You look at a baby, you see babies, you see it all the time on YouTube clips. Little babies, they just stare at each other and start laughing. Laughter is a very natural experience. What we have learned to do is to repress it and to contain it. So what we're asking people, the invitation in this process is to start, is to invite the laughter. You invite the experience of joy and laughter because laughter is an expression of joy among many other things. And joy, joyfulness is our natural state. We are born joyful. So my invitation to people is, first of all, you can't get this wrong. Even if you sit there and you can't connect to your laughter, that's the process for you now. Sitting there going, my God, I'm completely disconnected from my laughter. I'm disconnected from my joy. I'm lost in my sadness. I'm lost in my seriousness. That's a good start. That's a bloody good start. And I had a friend who came and joined me back in 2011, the first time I went and did it, my close friend, Adam. He was a bit skeptical, but he's a contained individual. He was, you know, a lot of trauma, a lot of anger and stuff held down inside him. He sat there for seven days in the laughter with a, just as kind of a sheepish grin on his face, just like, mm, mm, awkward. It was awkward. He didn't, nothing happened. Second seven days, second week, not a tear left his eye, nothing. By the third week, his body had exploded. Both his eyes were completely bloodshot. And I mean like blood, like red bloodshot. His skin was erupting. He was twitching and shaking. It was like a demon trying to get out of him. One way or another, something transformed. He left that retreat, quit smoking, quit drinking, got into sports, got into martial arts. His life transformed. And he didn't shed a single tear and he didn't laugh once. But he stayed in the room and he stayed present. Um, and that's an amazing example. There's many, many examples of that. People just say, I'm just in the room. I'm in the room. Trust that there's something happening. That's the therapeutic element of a group, of a collective group consciousness. That you're in a space where you have permission because everyone else in the room is, is giving themselves permission. And that permissiveness, that understanding that there's no way you can get it wrong is fundamental to the process. It's fundamental mm. that it's permissive, that it's allowing, that it's accepting. Because what we're looking for here is become compassionate with ourselves. That's what we're doing in the laughter and the tears. When we're releasing our laughter and releasing our tears, we are experiencing the opposite of judgment. And the opposite of judgment is compassion. So if we stay in a compassionate state within ourselves, we're not going to be judging other people in the group looking at them going, why are they not laughing? I'm laughing, I'm trying. I say to them, that's not what this is about. This is your process. You're the therapist in this process. We are all our own therapists. And this, all I've done, I'm a facilitator. That just means I make this easy. So we create the space, we create the environment. I give you tips and tricks and hacks of how to access these aspects, these, these energetic aspects of ourselves. And then it's up to you to work the process. So this process, yes, is very simple. But it's not easy because I say to people, this is the sound of resistance. This is a stupid process. This is not for me. Um, I just don't find it funny. I think I've laughed or I've, I've always been a good laugher. I don't have repressed laughter. Or in the second week, I'm not sad about anything. I just don't feel the tears. You know, I, if I've, I've always cried. I can cry. I, I don't, you know, this is, this is the, the mind is extremely clever. 
extremely clever. Um, and in the laughter, we say to people, don't have false laughter. Don't try and laugh. Just find the littlest real giggle. Because I've seen lots of people, people who run this group around the world sometimes say just, you know, fake it to make it. And you see a whole room of people sitting around fake laughing and they're missing the whole point. The point is to sit. Sometimes in the room, the laughter dies down into silence. Many facilitators would think, oh my God, the process has stopped. Nobody's laughing. No one's laughing. I just sit there with the silence and just say, okay, here we are, a room full of 25, 30 people. No one's laughing. And we all know we're here to invite our laughter. And we're all sitting here in silence. And what happens? Eventually, that becomes that becomes funny. And someone starts to laugh because we're all sitting here. This is ridiculous. We're all here to laugh. And we're all sitting here not laughing. That becomes funny. And off we go again. But it requires a facilitator to trust <laughs> and, and give people that space to not to be to to sit there and go, oh my god, I'm not in process, I'm not in process, and take responsibility. Not go, okay, everyone, let's let's put plate, let's all dance and get this going again. No, you're not laughing. You're not. You're, this, this is up to you. If you're not inviting your laughter, if you're not looking for it, if you're not chipping away at that cold face, okay, we'll sit here quietly for three hours. <laughs> that's my job is done I've introduced a process I've set the rules we can interact gently with each other no talking absolutely no words not a single word to be said during three hours now it's up to you you know what we're doing here you understand what the resistance will sound like you know that you know the voice in your head you know it so well it's there all day every day this is an opportunity to work against that inner critic, that judgmental commentary running in the mind 24-7. Um, so, yeah, very powerful process. Um, and, yeah, so that's that's something that's so – I mean, I could talk – you know, I can talk about, you know, the, the psychological aspects of laughter, the, the uh, physiological aspects of laughter – that's fairly well known. You know, a chemical soup that, that fills your bloodstream after three hours of laughter is intense. I just did a, an introdu introductory session in Romania last week where we just did 90 minutes. We just did an hour and a half. And even then, a few people just, they were being laughed by existence. They lost it. They were just, even in, you could hear them laughing in the toilet. <laughs> they, they'd gone off to the toilet to have a wee and you could just hear them laughing in the toilet. They were gone absolutely overtaken by the laughter for no reason, no props, no comedy, just being laughed by the natural energy flow rising up through the body. Highly therapeutic, what that does in the bloodstream, the, the chemicals that are released, and then the crying, of course, which is then, catch, you know, catches a ride on this energy flow. Uh, and in the second phase, when we go into the tears, especially for men, to see men in deep relief, Beautiful, heartbreaking, so real, yeah, so raw, yeah. oh, incredible, incredible healing, um, and you know the tears. As we've spoken before, you know about this. Tears are the way that we release cortisol. It's the way we, we it obviously can be absorbed into the tissues if we don't cry. You know that we eventually recover from that. But the low level stress, the cortisol and the epinephrine that lives in the bloodstream as low level stress all through all through our lives through the fight and flight being activated constantly crying is the way that we process it and i've said this often before that crying is not the sound of sadness the sound of sadness is silence 
crying is the sound of healing. And it's a very mm. important distinction for people to hear that. Because it says, like, I can't cry. What, what you're actually saying is, I can't heal. Yeah. Beautiful. So, so it's very important that for, for men to get that understanding that when that crying is not being sad, crying is recovering from being sad, crying is healing. Um, and that we've repressed that capacity to heal in men especially is a tragedy that we see manifest in the way our world is today with war and and corruption and suffering and injustice you know this is this is this is the manifestation of a world full of men who are unhealed mm, beautiful mm. Mm. Yeah, so it's nice to just to, yeah, and it's nice to just allow some silence for that to really drop in. Now it's, it's, the, yeah, the amount of pent up, unnecessary um, emotion that then becomes toxic and then becomes, you know, dis-ease in our body is, uh, I, I just feel that most, and, I, and this is not a generalization or, or a judgment, but as an observation, it seems that, you know, still such a vast a number of our uh, uh, humanity, our species, just has no clue of that, There's, that we can actually tap into that, um, that, that, that depth of, of um of healing that is acquired no of release in fact the depth of release that we can actually have through um through moving through moving our emotion but i what i i think what i love so much about the what you share is that yeah it, it's this thing of of well, the word that's popping up is empowerment. It's like giving, it is giving over the responsibility and empowerment back to us, no? Because so much of the trauma and the um, wounding that we've experienced is because we felt helpless or we've been overpowered or we've been, uh, you know, violated in some way, right? So, so you know, whether that be, for, you know, for whatever, just ultimately just being born is it can be trauma no in, in terms of uh, what we're dealing with but mm -hmm. then of course we have to go through the whole process of of living so actually it feels to me that these practices you know more than ever before are, are just vital vitally needed if they could be taught to our children if they could be you know given into family dynamics and so on because so many of us are just blurting out our violent communication and our violent um uh, expression based on not being able to communicate how we feel ba based on not being able to feel let alone put words to it you know that's just one part of it right that's the cognitive as you describe but actually the somatic to feel it in the body i mean mm. how many people really i mean we're you know we're probably speaking in an echo chamber and there's you know how many people are really having access to it or all willing to go into the vulnerability to access it Love you it to seems speak to like that. most of the, yeah, I mean, most, I think the majority of the world isn't even, there isn't even a cognitive realization that they are not the pain that is, that is running their lives. The pain bodies, as if you would echo Tolles term, is completely overwhelming 
the being. The, the organism is completely run by the, by the pain body. So there's no idea of healing. There's no idea that, that, there, that there is even an option. You know, if you think about the people in power, politicians, people are like, these are not people who are interested in anything except changing the external, influencing, using their power and domination. Um, even if it's even if it's for a good cause, even if it's you know a green politician, it's still I need to change the world and then things will be better. So the very idea of changing ourselves uh, is still it's still quite a fringe experience. It's a fringe concept. It's developing and it's growing, um, and people like you and I are slowly chipping away <laughs> and and as you say trying to move out of the echo chamber this is something that's that's like again why i'm so happy to be working in eastern europe um because it's like people are going like oh i don't have to feel like that like this every day so this isn't like compulsory life doesn't have to hurt i'm going no actually you can be serene you can feel joy you can feel happy it's like mm -hmm. really like, oh, so there's a reason I'm feeling like I want to die all the time. So, yeah, because there's enormous trauma, things that happened to you in your childhood. And they're like, really? What, what happened to me? Like, they don't understand this. It's a new concept. And it's just knowing that there is some hope, just knowing that there's a possibility that you could actually have some serenity, some inner peace. Um, I love it. It's incredibly inspiring to people. It's, 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 it's like... It's like they're seeing something for the first time. Like you can see them going, really? I don't have to feel like this. People just resigned to feeling terrible, resigned yeah. to feeling happy, unhappy. Yes. And actually, there is an invested, there's a vested interest in keeping people in that state of mind. And I've spoken about this, the difference between seriousness and sincerity, how laughter has been invalidated because it, and has been associated with frivolity if you're laughing you're taking you're, you're not seeing the truth you're not taking it seriously and right. people need to take life seriously if you're a serious person you're you're a highly educated influential person because you're serious uh, and serious people are considered to be people who you know are taking life you know the truth and people who are laughing at life are just being frivolous and the opposite is actually the truth Serious people are actually easy to control. I've spoken about this many times. When you're in a state of seriousness, you're in a state of fear because seriousness is fed by fear. So if people want you to be serious, they scare you. Sincerity is fed by love. So sincerity is, I believe you, it's true, I care, it hurts. Um, we're in a difficult situation. People are suffering. That's sincerity. You don't need seriousness if you're sincere. And that's why laughter needs to be liberated from this association with, with um, indifference or not caring. In fact, you can care more. You can have more empathy when you're in a state of joyfulness. Because when you're serious, you can't be creative. You can't come up with solutions exactly. because you're in the same exactly. level of consciousness as what has created it. So the only way you can rise to a level of consciousness above what is creating the, the nightmare that is this world at the moment is to reconnect with our joy, reconnect. And as you say, yes. it's empowering because when we're in a state of, of joyful sincerity, we have our power back. That's the rebellion yes. in laughter. That's what I talk about when I talk about the rebel, the laughing rebel. 
It's like saying, I see the nightmare in the world. I see the serious situation, but I refuse to make that my inner state as well. Because if I'm going to be part of the change, I can't be in that pool. I can't be pulling people out of a pool I'm, I'm in as well. So I need to remain exactly. joyful, but sincere. In other words, seeing the truth, understanding it's painful, understanding a suffering is real, understanding that we have real wounds. There's no bypass. There's no way through it. We have to deal with the pain that lives inside us. We have to work through it and we have to reveal it and release it. And that is what we do. That's what the laughter and the crying does. Beautiful. I'm so happy you brought that in because that was going to be one of my uh, one of my next questions and you just weaved in so beautifully because I was going to say, you know, <clears throat> yeah, everything you just described, I wanted you to say. So it's so beautiful. Mm. You know, it's really like... It's important. Almost, yeah, it's really important. It's, it's an article that I've shared of yours many, many times. Um, mm. That really touched me, you know, when I when I first when I first read it as well. It's just like from from seriousness to sincerity, and and um, yeah, just everything you describe, you know, it's like how you can only control a species that is, uh, you know, addicted to fear. And of course, yeah. as you so beautifully described, I'm just I'm just echoing what you said. But yeah, when you're serious and you're you're rigid and you're stubborn and you know then of course how can you how can that creative flow how can that life force how can that kundalini how can that prana how can it move through you because the density of the communication that's coming from you know the the cognitive the the mental is impacting right. the the physiological and the spiritual and the and, and the sexual so you know of course you've then got a sexually repressed culture you've got an energetic like literally just call it life force if you don't want to call it sexuality you've got a life force um sucked you know your life force is sucked and what, what you're when you talk about the tears releasing and I'm going to use that analogy again of the um, of the siphoning the pipe, but like you know, you're opening these channels, these pipes, these you know, you're, you're literally opening up. If you want to use the spiritual terms of like uh, the chakras, but you know, you're energizing yeah. all of the energy centers now. Yeah, most people feel. Sense. Yeah, most people feel when they say to me, "When you say energy process, what do you mean energy process?" They, 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 when you're talking to people who have not been involved in any kind of spiritual work or inner work, I say to them, "Well, most people experience energy only in a sexual context." I said, "When you have an orgasm, that feeling of some kind of wave of experience happening in your body that overtakes right. you, that's energy." I said, "That's how most people get to experience energy, but there are other ways that you can feel and uh, tap and connect to more subtle energy ways moving through the body. But that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about energy." And they go, "Oh, oh, right, okay." So I said, "So when you talk about chakras, there's energy centers. There are area, there are parts of the body um, where where different frequencies, different organs are creating different frequencies, uh, and different parts of the body have." Um, uh, and they're connected through the abdomen, um, and and by flushing through this with laughter, with breath, you actually are clearing. You're moving energy, so you're starting to yeah. reach. So people do feel their sexual energy after doing this process. Feel yeah. their sexual energy much more strongly um, because it's just another form of the energy. So they're feeling their emotional energy. So when we feel we're about to cry, you feel the lump here and then you feel the lump here. So this is the expression. And men, when they talk about a lump in your throat, 
is when you're trying to repress tears. So you're literally blocking a natural energy process. And you can feel energy. You can feel tears is an energy crying. It's sadness. It sends away. Your whole body tingles. It's like when you yawn, when you sneeze. Your whole body tingles. Your lips start growing. You know, you, there's involuntary automatic things start happening to your body. That's all energy. When you try to stop yourself laughing, you think somebody trips over in the street, it's funny because it's unexpected. And it's and as long as the person's not hurt, people have put their hands on it and they just like, you see it in television programs, like people are doing comedy shows and they're trying to, you know, there's this one um, uh, comedy writer, uh, Ricky Gervais, who, who does this, this very funny work where he does unscripted, semi-unscripted stuff. So he sends the scene for his actors and he lets them ad lib a bit. And they struggle to get through these scenes because the guys come out with such funny lines and you see them take 23, take 24, and they can't stop themselves laughing. They have to disassociate and get before they can get through that scene. So they're having to fight a very natural experience, which is just a natural state of laughter. So, yeah, so laughter in itself, when we do it in this process, it's like a weapon. We weaponize laughter. And, and our enemy is, is the judgmental mind. Because one thing that's very important is this, this thing about judgment. Seriousness and judgment are bedfellows, right? Joyfulness and compassion are bedfellows. So, we, so if we're in a state of seriousness, we're judging ourselves. And if we're judging ourselves, that reflects out. So then we're judging everybody else around us. Um, and then we are easily controllable because we don't want to be judged. So we behave we do the right thing, we say the right things, we wear the right clothes. Whatever tribe we're in, we don't want to be judged. Could be a spiritual tribe, could be a military tribe, could be a nationalistic tribe. Whatever tribe we, we want to belong to, we adapt. You know, we are Machiavellian. We become what we think people want us to be. Mm. Um, when, we're, when we're in our joy, when we're in compassion, the compassion starts to ourselves. So we look in the mirror and then we say, hey, I love you. And all that's all that you are, I accept you. And we reach that point. What else can we do but feel that for everybody yeah. else? Because that's our state of being. Wait there, I lost you. Go, 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 go from hey, hey, I love you. <laughs> if we look in the mirror and we can look in our own eyes and we can say, I love you and I accept you. And that beautiful wave of compassion, that kind of, of acceptance, not self worth. Not to do with self-worth, this is self-acceptance. Self-worth is still comparative. It's just positive comparison. Self-acceptance, I am this, and I'm, I'm not everything I wish I could be, but I accept it, and I love it. And that's mm. all there is to it. Um, and when you're in that state of being, when there is compassion to yourself, it's, you cannot be feel anything except compassion for the people around you. And what happens when you're compassionate, when you're non-judgmental? People feel safe around you. And what happens when people feel safe around you? They open up to you. What does that mean? It means you have more connection in your life. It means you have better communication. It means you have less conflict. It means you have more love in your life. So so laughter, Beautiful. laughter it reconnects you to your compassion because it reconnects you to your joy. And in the process, we say to people, you need to become like a child. If you want to laugh, move your body, roll around, play with your toes. Entertain yourself. Get into the space of just being in your joy. And it's very difficult for people, especially men, to just become stupid, become ridiculous. It's so difficult. And I say to people, when we start the laughter, 
understand that the awkwardness you feel is the reason we're here. If we didn't feel awkward in a room full of people all about to suddenly laugh for no reason, we wouldn't need this process. The awkwardness is the, is the evidence that we need to be here, facing it. And I said to them, and it will feel awkward. It's going to feel very cringy. You're going to be sitting there going, oh, this is weird, this is weird. <laughs> be ready. Be ready and laugh the mind away. Use that laugh. Be a laughing rebel. Use your laughter. Laugh in the face of your own seriousness. Laugh in the face of your own significance, of your own correct behavior. Have the courage. Have the courage to laugh at yourself. Because once you start laughing at your own absurdity, once you get that joke, laughter will take you. And then you will be laughed. The cosmic joke. You'll get the cosmic joke. And when that happens, you will open up so fast. And then everything will start to come through. The joy and the pain will start to feel safe. And when you're in a room full of 40, 35, 40 people who have been laughing together for some days and playing together and laughing together, the trust that builds is enormous. The bond that starts to happen, the resonance with the hearts starts to happen. So when you start the first day of crying and you see the people around you starting to release pain, you're right there with them. There's so much compassion. There's so much space. There's so much permission. So when you're in a room full of people that you've been with for this last week, and you're in a and you're in a space where you can release your tears, and you know that people are not going to be confronted by your tears, that they're accepting your tears. Because if you see how people are normally in the real world, for instance, you're watching a television program and somebody starts to get emotional, the first thing they do is they cover their mouth and they apologize. And that's something that happens is that we have an embarrassment. There's a shame around crying for men and women. So to be in a space where your tears are welcome and where everyone around you is also releasing those same tears and you know you're not being judged and you know nobody's trying to make you feel better, it's a very precious and very unique space to find yourself in. Um, and that can only happen after the week of laughter. So, or however, well, the three days of laughter, whatever, whichever format we, it's, it's done in. Um, but that's the, that's the, that's the sequence. The laughter opens the flow, opens the breath, opens the body. The pain that lives inside us starts to feel safe enough to be released because laughter and tears, it's all overwhelming. It all comes out in tears. We laugh, we cry when we laugh and we cry when we feel pain. Uh, and they, they both come up through that same energy field. They most, they both work up through that same space. So the laughter opens that door for the reveal and the release of, our, of the pain that's living inside us. And we, once we're crying yeah. out, we're actually crying out the pain. So, yeah, that's the power of the process, that you can't get it wrong. You're in this amazing environment where you get the chance to release that pain. And people say after this process, they have a new relationship to the pain that lives inside them. Um, and yeah. crying becomes a beautiful feeling. They enjoy their tears, yes. actually enjoy their tears because they know that all those released tears will create space. And what comes in to fill that space is joy because it's our natural state of being. It's like a, it's like yeah. a natural law. The more pain we release, the more joy replaces it. Well, I love that so much that you just said the more, the, the, what, how I receive that is the tears are our healing. I call them the healing balm. It's like the, they're the healing relief. And actually, when we do cry, 
we really do heal that part of ourselves because we're crying for that. So it does genuinely release. You get a physical release, and not just an energetic, which does happen too, but you get a, you get a, a physical release as well because the tears, they, they are coming out. It's like they are, they are almost, uh, I love what you said, they're pouring away and all that's left beneath that is our natural state and our natural state is joy. Isn't that so wonderful? Just that, just that, that physiological thing that happens, but at the same time, the metaphor of that is that so often we're holding on to our pain mm-hmm. because we're identifying with our pain, and we, you know, we we think we are our pain. Our pain, on some level, also gives us um, power and safety. You know, when you when you when you go down the uh, and break it down, you see people are really holding on to their pain. But actually, yeah. it can it it can it can wash away in the river of our tears, and that's 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 beautiful. Um, you see, the body, you, the amount of energy it takes to contain layers and layers of pain and wounding is enormous, and that's why it begins to become toxic because the body can't process its own toxins because it's busy holding that together. So when we start crying and releasing. And we have to do this process several times. Many times people come and do it every year because they release another layer and another layer. And each time the body gets more, more, more energy for our health, for our well-being. So literally crying out is actually healing. It's literally healing the wounds. It's not, it's not a conceptual reality. It's not like if I cry, yeah. I can, you know, I feel better. No, you actually are removing that dark held Un, un, unreleased and unprocessed um, pain that's been living inside yeah. you. It's like sweating pain. It's like when you sweat, yeah. you, 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 it's gone. Come back in. So, yeah. you know, it's transformative. In that way, the process is transformative because it's not something where it just sends you away with a smile on your face for a week. And a week later, you're back. You, it, changes your, it changes people's lives. And in a yeah. very powerful Wonderful. way, people report feeling People report feeling empowered. People report feeling they've got a voice back because energy flows through everything. So people are able to express themselves. People go back to relationships that are toxic and not working and they go, this is over. I can't be doing this anymore. Their shift is so immense. Their shift is so vertical that they just go back to their lives and go, okay, that's not good. I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Or they go into a relationship that they've been holding back, not sure, and they say, I mean, I mean, I'm committing. This is, I'm fully in. This is, I've been fucking around. I've been wanting to get my cake and eat it. No, now I know what I want to do. So people have that voice, but one way or the other, people feel able to make better decisions. They delight you just, there's a level of clarity about your life. So it's not about changing your life. It's about the new perspective. I've said this to you before. It changes the place where you're seeing everything because it opens you up, it opens you up and People feel very powerful. That's what most people say. I feel light and I feel strong. I feel powerful and I can make good decisions and I can see new options and new opportunities I never saw before. It's it's life-changing. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much. I'm so happy we uh, we made it through this uh, this conversation and made it happen because we've been sharing about this for some years and it's lovely just to continue. It's lovely to continue. And it's also lovely to... I think just in closing, what would be lovely is just to share a little bit about the book and um, and that you've just mm. 
after some after 35 years you managed to you've now managed to uh, curate and get this book and and uh, blessed we started the, with the story about your mum but I, I yeah. want to you know just acknowledge I want to acknowledge her here as well because um it's not yeah. about her, I, I don't want to say she's getting too old to do this, but you know she's done a good, uh, an amazing innings with this, and she's passed the the baton to you a little bit. She's still out there doing it, but um, I just want to acknowledge her for her her service and her dedication to this. And actually, you've um, put a book together, in, um, which I feel is a is a beautiful continuation of of all that she's uh, explored and learned through the years of experience. This process is her life's work. It's basically what she has devoted, as I said, the last 35 years of her life to and continues to. She had been writing this book for 10 years um, and also running the process. So things changed, her approach developed, um, and so she started putting together what she could. Um, and a few years ago, she said, look, you know, she knows I'm a writer. And she was, you know, saying, I was working as a ghostwriter. And she said, help me get this book done. So, you know, we did that. We went to Corfu. We did like a, uh, a boot camp, a couple of weeks together, just working every day, hours and hours every day, working through her material. I interviewed her about seven or eight times uh, for different aspects of stuff that wasn't yet in the book. And then I put that into, you know, I wrote that, edited it, put it in, and started to create a structure and make it all work. So I ghost wrote the book uh, along with her, but she's the author. This is the book. So that's it. Osho's Mystic Rose Meditative Therapy, a revolutionary process of healing. Um, yeah. And transformation through laughter, tears, and silence. And she's the author. So find it on Amazon. And, oh, sorry. Excuse my phone. Um, yeah, so that's the book. And it's available on Amazon. And if you can download uh, on Kindle or you can get a paperback. That's the two options. And that really explains in depth. It really explains the whole process, how the history of it, how it works, goes into much more about laughter, what we've spoken about, and much more into tears. So anybody who would think of doing this process, read that book and you will know if you're if you're in a process that if that is being facilitated correctly. And I'll be doing this process, as I say, from from the new year onwards, we're we're developing the seven day retreat, um, which I'll be doing um uh, in Romania, beautiful retreats in Romania. It's a lovely place to come and uh, um, and, and experience experience laughter, tears, and silence. Love it. Thank you so much. But I, I actually got another. I've got something else popping up. You know, I'm, I'm spontaneous, so I think this would be nice for people to hear as well. Because you know, okay. I do my little. I do my little. Uh, uh, practice of laughter and I, I love this idea of of being in laughter but I, th I think a question that would be nice just a just a little finishing is that on your because we have this because you have this awareness and because I have this awareness I'd love I know my answer to this of course but I'd love to hear yours like because we can see the potency of this and we can see that that life we can laugh at everything we can pretty much laugh at everything, but not because it's a joke and we, we're dismissing it, but we can bring laughter. So just in a few words, like, mm. you know, do you, do you still get super pissed off and angry and serious? <laughs> do you ever get serious? <laughs> well, that's, that, that's my question. Or do you always go like, shit, I'm serious again. And then you start laughing. Absolutely. Of course I do. 
um, what I get is I get triggered. I, I feel hurt. Um, I get angry when I feel hurt. Um, and that for me is, is, yes, of course I do. Whether I get serious, I, I, I don't think, for me, seriousness is a state. It's a kind of state that we can get into. And I would say anger is not, it's an expression of something. It's an expression of a natural energy. I think anger is, is underrated. Um, and I'm not talking about rage. I'm not talking about reaction. I'm talking about conscious anger. You know, I'm talking about the Zen stick of, of anger where, um, where you feel you're capable of expressing something. You know, if somebody oversteps your boundaries, you can say, you're overstepping my boundaries and I need you to back off. That person doesn't listen. You say, you fucking overstepping my boundaries, back off. Right? That's power and that's anger. And yes, I feel that. And when, it, when that happens, or if I feel so there's an injustice, it, it triggers me and I will defend the, the undefended and I will make a stand for people. Um, and that is very important that I don't deny anger. And that when I say I take something seriously, it means I'm taking it sincerely. It means I have a sincere care, a sincere concern for something. But seriousness does not serve me. Being in a serious state does not serve me. Sincerity serves me. Concern, anger, um, and determination are all part of who I am. And absolutely. And yes, I get triggered. And yes, I get angry. And yes, I get defensive because I'm a human being and I'm not enlightened. So, yeah. yeah. But I would say that I don't live in a serious way. I choose, I, yeah. I don't find, it's like it doesn't, it, it, it serves no purpose for me. As long as I have sincerity, I don't need seriousness. I've always been a rebel. I've always been a bit of a, a bit of a, of a laughing rebel. Um, what I'm learning now is to laugh more at myself. That's my lesson now is to laugh at myself more, to take myself less seriously. That's, uh, that's, that's now the challenge I work with. Yeah, but actually you take yourself more sincerely, no? And that's beautiful too. And even just seeing your changes in the last years and, and how you've mm -hmm. been showing up. And even, even with what you're doing now with this and, and putting this book out there, you know, I feel that's also been a result of your sincerity to this work, your sincerity to this, uh, this commitment that you've been uh, dedicated to, not just in this practice, but with other modalities over the years. So, yeah. And the reason why I yeah. asked that question is like, uh, the reason why I asked that question is, is that I, th I think that there's this, this, um, yeah, there's just this, be this beauty in, a maturity and a healthiness that we can have around our um, emotions. And, uh, and it's like, for me, it's the same thing. I exactly the same as you, you know, I get, uh, I get triggered and I get serious and, and, and find myself sometimes, or, or, or maybe, uh, yeah, I, I think I do get a little bit stubborn and serious still sometimes. And, but, but through this, uh, through this journey and, and definitely through the laughter, you know, I, it's been such a great anchor to just remind myself what's, what's happening right now. You know, how have I got this? And literally, literally just a few weeks back, I was really pent up with a lot of emotion and I did, a I did some shaking. I went, I was shaking for like 20 minutes. And then after the shaking, I, I bashed the pillow from, I bashed the pillow for whatever, however long, a minute or so. And then I just rolled on my back, put my feet in the air like you originally taught me and just went into laughter. 
You know, it's just like, <laughs> and there was this, uh, there was this resistance and some of this like emotion building. <laughs> and then this kind of like wailing came out. And then from this wailing came the, the, the laughter. So it's like, and then there was this tears and I just laid on the bed. So I was like 40 minutes just uh, uh, through this process. And then at the end, I got to cry the tears that were blocked. And then after the, 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 the crying, as you so described today, there was not only a freedom, but then I started to laugh at the end in this kind of more the, the sincere laughter, right? The genuine laughter and the natural laughter. And then I was laughing yeah. in the last moments. And then I just laid on my bed and it was literally like, I'd literally just made love for however long, an hour, and I was like just completely like zen. <laughs> it's a great, it's so, a great indicator when you say if you're feeling serious, there's always fear behind it. So seriousness is fed by fear. So when you're in a state of seriousness, if you're wound up or freaked out, you will find something that triggered a fear in you. When you're feeling in a state of when, and you can transfer that to sincerity by loving yourself because love feeds sincerity. So when you're feeling serious, there's a fear. Like if you're taking yourself seriously, it's a fear of being ridiculed. It's a fear of being judged. It's a, there's a fear behind it. If I don't get this done, people will think I'm stupid. If I don't make this happen, I will be a It's fear of ridicule. It's fear of judgment that generates anger, that generates seriousness or fear of personal loss like something terrible is going to happen to me i've got to deal with this i've got to deal with this get serious so it's always fed by fear so whenever anyone is feeling serious whenever you feel serious find the fear go to the fear find what is it i'm scared of what is it i'm scared of and once you find that just realizing it will start to dissolve it and then you can say i choose sincerity here instead of fear instead of seriousness and immediately you will compassion like the sun coming out from behind the clouds, you'll feel the warmth of compassion wash over you and you can deal with the situation, whatever it is, far better. Mm. Lovely. Thank you for that last little nugget. That's uh, that's going to be a little mini clip because I feel that that's something that not just I have struggled with over my time or had challenges with, but many do. You know, and when we look in the world at the moment and we see so much of what's happening and we see some sometimes we're just you know, plummeted and, and projected with all the, 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 the so-called uh, extinction possibilities and all the, the, the drama and the suffering and the violence. Very serious. It's, 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 very it's, serious. Very, ser very serious stuff, no? And it's hard to, it's hard to yeah. not fall into that trap, you know? Hard to not fall into yeah. that trap. Just, like so I thank say, you for that. Just, be, just because, yeah, absolutely, just because we are in a serious situation does not mean that that should be our inner state. We have to stay in, we have to rise to a higher level of consciousness to deal with what created it. We cannot solve seriousness, a serious situation by being serious. We have to, we have to stay sincere, but we have to be in our power and our joy is our power. If you can laugh in the face of your own demise, if you can laugh in the face of hope itself, you are powerful. You are absolutely powerful. Yeah. Nothing can touch you. And it's not, a, it's not a cynical laugh. It's, it's that I choose. I choose to feel how I feel. I choose to feel empowered. I choose to feel my joy. It's like that, you know, it's, it's, is it called a wonderful life or something with this, this concentration camp where the dad, you know, he chooses, he always, he, cho he chooses to show positivity to his son, always. No matter what situation that you are in, you get to choose. 
And that's mm. the difference. That's that, that sincerity. In, when you can be sincere, you realize that you care, that it's important, that things matter. The situation in the, in the environment is important. It really needs to be dealt with. It really matters. But I'm not going to become serious. I'm going to remain in my joy and in my strength and in my creativity so I can help solve it, so I can be part of the solution. Because when I'm serious, I'm just part of the problem. Really. I think that is a beautiful place to wrap up today. Thank you so much, Mark. When I am serious, I am part of the problem. Beautiful. So thank you for everyone tuning in. Please, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, below the video or below the audio there will be the link to uh, connect with mark more if you want to stay connected uh, jump on his mailing list you can get the book um, probably from from your website and i know amazon of course but there's there's access on your website right yes um so you can do that and if you want to take this journey because you feel inspired then maybe a trip to romania in 2023 is uh, is what you want to be uh, thinking about and if you listen to this podcast after 2023 then just go over to the website and see when the next retreat is happening <laughs> and you might be hearing this yeah we'll be doing uh, them regularly later, who knows yeah, exactly. So, so do that. And as I said at the beginning, beautiful beings, thank you for tuning in with this uh, podcast. Please, um, if you've enjoyed it, share it, share it forward, share the love forward. Um, that's how we uh, we get to spread this beautiful ripple of loving, conscious awareness around the world. And I also, I really invite you to share it with someone who not is not necessarily even on this path so much, you know, somebody who this could really open their, their mind, their heart to completely different potentials. Yeah. Because so often, you know, we kind of uh, preach to the converted. And, and as uh, Mark said at the beginning, he's gone to Romania into an area where they just don't have this. And that for me is very inspiring. If we can give these seeds of, of joy and, and truth to, to those that can really benefit the most and drink from mm. the wisdom. So thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for having me, Simon. Love it. Always so lovely to connect with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Simon Transparently. This podcast is a call to action, a call into sovereignty, a call to speak our truth and love ourselves fiercely, and for us all to rise up together as love. If you are resonating with my offerings, you can support me by becoming a patron, for which I would be deeply grateful, and you can access more of my content at simontransparently.com. This is our time to rise.